Wow, God. I thought I'd have more time. But you've given me far longer than I deserve. There's so much left to say. There's just not enough time to write it. I don't even know if I have the words. Jesus, I imagine you felt something like this when you broke bread with us that fateful night. That was the longest night of my life. What am I saying? I was infinitely worse for you. How did you balance your apprehension of the indescribable pain that awaited with the joy that was birthed from what it would bring? How did you reconcile your longing to finally be with your father again and your desire to care for us, making sure we had everything we needed? You shared so much with us that night, yet you didn't seem frantic or rushed. I've missed you so much. Don't get me wrong. I cannot describe my gratitude for allowing your spirit to dwell in me of all people. But I miss the strong hand that pulled me out of the waters that stormy night on the lake. I miss your reassuring voice. I miss your laugh. I miss the wisdom that poured from your lips. I miss your eyes. The first eyes that ever saw value in me. The eyes that saw through me, past the facade, into the mess, and loved me more than I knew was possible. And I'll never forget hearing your call inviting me to be your disciple. No other rabbi wanted me. I miss the knees that knelt to wash our feet. What kind of a God does that? I did not want you to wash my feet. Seeing you there stooping beneath me with a servant's basin in your hand, it exposed me in a way I wasn't prepared for. And I'll never forget the night I denied you. There are no words. The tidal wave of shame crushed me. I never thought I'd see you again. And I couldn't bear knowing the moment that you needed me most was the moment that I failed you. And that was the last time that you would see me. Seeing you again on Sunday, I felt, I felt so conflicted. You were alive. My Lord, my Savior, my teacher. My friend. 
so embarrassed, overwhelmed with shame, I, I couldn't even look you in the eye. But you gently lifted my head and walked me through it. I can't wait to see you again. And it won't be long now. Would you inspire me one last time? Would you give me the words again and guide my quill one last time? You know what these young believers are going through. You know what they need to hear. Why do I worry? You've got this. You always have, and you always will, long after I'm gone. But as I hear the reports of those false teachers, righteous anger burns within me. Those snakes who have slithered their way into positions of authority just to get rich. Those men, no, those charlatans have conned so many impressionable young women. I can't take it. How do I help the church elders see the disease they've allowed in their midst? How do I empower these churches to rid themselves of these blasphemers and stand up for those oppressed in their midst? These so-called teachers, these fools, they are twisting your grace. Now, I'll be the first to admit, your apostle, Paul, His writing makes my head spin. <laughs> but what these false teachers are doing is more than mere misunderstanding. They are manipulating the beautiful picture Paul paints of your grace. Don't they know they are sliding down the slippery slope? Don't they know this freedom that they preach is disguised slavery to sin? They are obviously not counting on your justice. Don't they know who you are? Apparently not. Do I just start firing away at them? Do I begin by fielding these dangerous lies? Jesus, what would you do? I'm reminded of all those interactions you had with the Pharisees and religious scholars. How were you patient with them while at the same time calling out their sin. 
how are you kind yet firm? How did you love those men while loving the people they were hurting? How did you enable them to see beyond their agenda and consider their own broken lives? You did such a brilliant job of helping people consider what was preventing them from experiencing the extravagant grace of God. Grace beyond anything they could possibly imagine. Grace. What a thought. If there's anything I've learned about you, it's that you are the perfect picture of God's continuous gift of grace. I can't even count the number of times I've been on the receiving end. More than seven. More than 70 times seven. How is it you can continue to lavish your grace upon me? You aren't merely the God of grace or even the God of all grace. As I look back throughout the entire course of my broken life, if there's anything you've shown me, it's that you are the God of more grace. That's it, isn't it? That's how to begin. Grace. Unsparing, ever increasing, exponentially multiplied. Grace. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus, our Lord. Wow. Wow. I love it when God in his kindness makes his word come alive. And I, and I love all the different unique gifts and talents that he has given us so that we can experience his word as living and active. If you're anything like me, there are times when you read the Bible and it just seems like a story. 
It just seems like another story that I've read. And, and I know that it's real, but I don't, I don't know that it's real. It, it's something that happened so long ago and it's just not tangible. I don't feel it often. That helped me feel it. <laughs> Woo. If you're new to Mosaic, we are just starting uh, a new book of the Bible. It's a letter that Simon Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, wrote 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And just to think about Peter, what he was feeling, what he was thinking, he writes that he knows he's about to die. He knows his time is up. And that, that's important. I was thinking about uh, this movie, Walk the Line, which is the, the story of Johnny Cash. And there's this moment in the movie where he's uh, recording his first song and he's been so excited to do this. This has been like what his life has been about. He's done a number of things and none, none of it gave him meaning. None of it, you know, expelled his passion. And so he's finally in the recording studio and they're playing this song they're gonna record. And about halfway through the song, the producer just stops him and says, yeah, I've, I've heard it before. And Johnny is taken aback. He's just distraught. Like, wait, what? This is, this is like my chance. You're not even going to let me finish the song. And he's like, yeah, I've, I've heard that song before and it's been done well. Y- y'all are doing great, but it's, it's been done. I, I don't, I don't want to hear that same old song again. And, and Johnny's like, what, what do you want me to play? And he says this, and man, this gets me off. I think about this often. What the producer says to him is, if you were, lying in that ditch over there and you're dying and you know you've got five minutes left to live. You've got enough time to sing one song. That's it. One song and that's going to be your legacy. That's what you're going to leave the world. That's what you're going to proclaim to people. This is what you'll leave behind. What song would you sing then? Johnny takes a moment and then he begins playing a song that, that, you know, has really He's got passion behind it. But I tell you what, like, like that gets me as I think about if I had one message left to give, if I had five minutes left to communicate to the world all the things that I've learned, all the things that I've seen, all the things that I want to pass on and give you, what would I say? There's a lot of weight to those words. Famous last words. And these are Peter's. Peter knows that he doesn't have a lot of time left and he's got just enough time to write a letter to these people. And there's all these things filtering through his mind. There's the situation, there are the false teachers. And what we see in this letter, the letter of 2 Peter, uh, sometimes you might hear me refer to it as 2 Peter. Uh, Scholars call it different things. But what he says is basically grace. Grace. We're going to be in this letter for about 12 weeks, and I encourage you to not just study on Sundays with us together in the community, but to go home and to study as well. Uh, We've got um, these beautiful blue Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, uh, they're out there, you know, in the lobby as or right between the lobby. And what do you call that space between the doors? The in-between space, in the in-between we have these beautiful blue Bibles and you can pick one up. Um, you can take it with you and it's not stealing. We won't press charges. We won't call Paul Blart. Um, 
Or we also, uh, there's these incredible journals. I love these. We have two different kinds. We've got a, a matte black one, which is it's my favorite because it's the color of my heart. Um, and uh, it matches my, my, my preaching wardrobe. Uh, but, but there are also these really uh, colorful ones uh, on the front. And what they have is there's, there's a page of, of scripture and the other page is just blank. So you can, you can write uh, someone's name or you can you know, take notes. You can, you can put uh, some drawings, if you will, that can help you study the Bible. We believe the Bible is the word of God and that it matters and that we're called to study it. We're called to meditate on it. We're called to like immerse ourselves in it and that God brings life through it. So I want to encourage you to do that. But what we're going to do today is I'm going to give an overview of 2 Peter, an overview of 2 Peter of this letter. It's got three chapters, and uh, it's really brilliant what Peter does. So I've got an image for you uh, that our design team put together uh, that kind of gives the structure of 2 Peter. And so what you got here, you got these, these three different squares. So if you're, you're writing right now and you want to write some squares, man, three, three squares. They're just parallelograms that have equal sides and right angles. Just do three of those things. And then divide each of those into three, right? So you'll have nine different spaces. And what's so cool about the way that the Spirit inspired Peter to write this letter is that it, it mirrors. The way that I think about it is a grace sandwich, okay? So if, if you don't want to think in squares, think in food. Think a grace sandwich or a burger or a tofu burger. Whatever, whatever you're thinking, think about this. And it's really incredible because you have a lot of parallels because right over here, it starts with grace multiplied. And at the end, it ends in grace multiplied. It's like a mirror split down the center. You've got a response to grace, response to grace, gifts of grace, gifts of grace. And in the middle, you've got these, these people who are manipulating God's grace. You've got justice and then these people manipulating God's grace once again. It's this brilliant work of art. Now, I know that you're saying to yourself, wait a second, you name a sandwich by what's in the middle. Why are you calling this a grace sandwich? Shouldn't this be a justice sandwich? Shouldn't this be a false teacher sandwich? Nay. <laughs> Nay. See, what we're going to find, and I'm so excited about it, what we're going to find is that even in the midst of all of this, God's grace is going to be magnified. What Peter's talking about is that God is a God, not just of grace, not just of all grace, but a God of more grace. That he's the type of God that is continually desiring to pour out more grace, more gifts to his people. And if you think about the word grace, I think a, a great word to substitute in there is gift. Gift. That God wants to continually pour out his gifts of grace to his people. That's the kind of God he is. And it blows my mind because if you're with us last week, right, last weekend, we celebrated the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, incredible that the God of the universe would put on flesh, give his life for us, take our sin upon himself, die the death we deserved, raise to new life, defeating death and invite us in. You'd think that has got to be all there is, Right? Like, that's more than I could have imagined. It's more than I deserve. It's more than I can fathom. And yet what Peter is writing 30 years later is, there's more. There's more. There's always more. I think about those, uh, those infomercials that you'd watch late at night. Uh, back when uh, television had those kind of things, you even watch television. Uh, on a, on a, and, and what they would do is they'd have some product that was always too good to be true. 
And they tell you how incredible this product is, how this knife can cut through diamonds. It's, it's brilliant. Like no other knife could do this, but this knife can cut through diamonds. And then they say, and we're going to give it to you for the low price, three installments of $19.99.99. And then they would say this every time. They'd say, but wait, there's more, right? But wait, there's more because we're going to give you two sets of these knives that can cut through diamonds for the low price, three installments, $19.99.99. But wait, there's more. If you act now, you'll get this totally irrelevant gift that has nothing to do with these knives and you can't use it, but it's amazing with it for free. See, that's what would happen. And this is what Peter's doing, right? He's saying, but wait, there's more. If you understand the beauty of our God, if you understand the brilliance of our God, if you understand the disposition of our God towards us, it's more and more grace. And he never stops. It never runs out. It's just more grace multiplied. And this is exactly how Peter begins the letter. First Peter, or sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1. He says this, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Obtained. It could also say received. Have you ever read through um, Hebrews? You get to chapter 10 and you get what people like to call the great hall of faith. It's all this list of great women and men who displayed incredible faith in God, right? And when I think about those people and I read their stories, I think about the way that they lived their lives. To me, I'm like, they're up here and I'm way down here. If I were to look at my life, my life would probably not fit in that passage of scripture, right? If, if it was in there, it would stick out like a sore thumb because you had these people who are getting sawn in two and eaten by lions and um, you know, stoned nearly to death. Like, I mean, just all this incredible stuff that is going on. These people by faith are enduring for the gospel, for the proclamation uh, of Jesus and his good news and spreading his kingdom. And yet here's what Peter says to those, this church of people, who have obtained or received a faith equal standing with ours, with the apostles. That the God of the universe has given us the gift of faith that's equal with Peter, that's equal with Paul, that's equal with Abraham. Can you believe that? This is what God has given to his followers. I don't know how you feel about your faith, Right? All of us probably wrestle with it in different levels. Some of us wrestle with doubt a lot. But what Peter says is the faith that God has given us, whether we think it or not, whether we feel it or not, whether we know it or not, it is on equal standing. It is par with the faith of the apostles to those who have that. By the righteousness, not of us, but the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. May grace and peace be multiplied, not added, right? This is not first grade. This is second grade, multiplied. <laughs> multiplied. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is what Peter's talking about. He's talking about the grace sandwich. That God is a God of continuous, more multiplied grace. 
And he says, I want it to be multiplied to you. And when we think about grace, when we think about God's gifts, it's not just random things. What God is giving is life. God gives life. God is the giver of life. And Peter is going to describe to us that we can position ourselves in such a way that we are open to more life that God is giving out. Not just the life that we got because Jesus rose from the grave, but more. And when you look at what Jesus talks about, when he, when he talks about life, when you look at what Paul writes or John writes or Peter writes, when they're talking about life, it's not a life that's just getting out of bed, breathing in and out, having your heart beat and bring blood to your limbs and to your brain, eating the food that you need, having a couple conversations, going to bed. It's not the life that so many of us live that looks exactly like the life that everybody else lives, whether they know Jesus or not. This is a life next level. In fact, what Jesus says is, I came that they or we would have life and have it abundantly or to its fullest extent. When God was imagining the life that his followers would live, his children would live, it was incredible. And so Jesus says, the life of following me is a life that can be characterized by soul level rest. Who's tired right now? And, and it's Sunday, by the way, it's the end of the weekend, right? And you're already tired. Monday's tomorrow. Jesus said that you can experience soul level rest. Paul said, there's this peace that you can experience as a follower of Jesus that you can't even understand it. You experience it, but you don't understand it. You can't fathom it. You can't grasp it. You can't logic it. Like you, you can't get it. He said, there's a joy that followers of Jesus can experience, but they can't even explain to other people. Or you look at the circumstances surrounding a person's life and you see the joy that they're experiencing. Paul says, you can't even explain it because it does not make sense. And yet it's part of that life abundant, life to its fullest extent, that life that Jesus came for us to have. Paul talks about being free from sin. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Paul talks about hope that abounds. See, the life that God imagines for his followers is not a life that just wakes up, eats, breathes, and goes back to sleep. It's a life of fullness, no matter our circumstances. A life characterized by joy we can't express, by peace we can't understand, hope that abounds, soul-level rest, freedom from sin, life abundant. That's the gifts of God's continuous grace. And what Peter is saying is we can position ourselves in such a way that we would be open to that life. And we can position ourselves in such a way that we close ourselves off from more of the grace that God wants to give us. He begins to talk about these false teachers. He talks about how they are manipulating the teachings of God's grace. And in the very middle, he talks about the justice, the justice of God, because these people are not counting on the justice of God. Sometimes you think of justice as judgment. And when you see judgment in your mind, you probably picture a judge with a gavel, banging the gavel down and saying, condemned. And what Peter does, and he's just incredible, God's justice. And I, and I love the, the graphic that, the, that our, our team came up with is incredible. It's this eclipse. You see this kind of eclipse starting to happen, this solar eclipse. And then right over justice, it's like the moon is completely covering the sun, except 
you can't completely cover the sun. If you've ever seen a solar eclipse, um, it's, it's incredible if you're not looking directly at it. I was in high school and there was a solar eclipse um, that, that, that passed over us. And so what they did, they had us like poke a hole in a piece of paper. This was, uh, we're from the country. We didn't have, you know, advanced things like, you know, sunglasses. And so you poke a hole in the piece of paper and you hold it above the ground and then you can kind of see the solar eclipse happening beneath you. But now people like they have these cameras you know, that, will, that will take pictures and it's incredible. But what happens at the point where the moon is, has completely covered the sun, there's still a ring of light around it. And when you look around, it's not completely pitch dark and it hasn't immediately become cold, right? Even in the midst of the point where it's the darkest, it's still a picture of God's grace even as these false teachers have so tried to cover and close themselves off from God's grace, God's grace still shines through. His justice is a gift of grace. It stops evil in its tracks, which we want. It saves his people, which we're so thankful for. Even his justice is a gift of grace. And what we find as Peter begins to unpack what's actually going on, is what they have done, these false teachers, they have manipulated Paul's teachings on grace and they've misunderstood what's happening. And really, he doesn't talk a lot about what they're teaching. He talks much more about the way that they're living. Peter is much more interested in the way that they're living, how their theology affects their lives than their theology itself. And what he says is they're just living these lies of what you might call licentiousness or just freedom to do whatever they want to do, whatever their heart's desire is. And you see it mainly happening in a couple of areas, in their greed and in their lust. And what you find out is these people have so closed themselves off from the pouring out of God's life that they have become dead inside and they've become so dead inside that they now have to suck life from other sources, sources that are not actually life. And what you find is in these churches, they're sucking life from the, from the people around them. I think the picture of, of a vampire is very accurate right now. Now, I know that we've kind of glorified, you know, vampires and, you know, their skin is of diamonds and they, you know, they're, they're good looking and, you know, it's kind of cool to be. No. So think about a vampire. A vampire is a person, a make-believe person, by the way, a make-believe person who is so dead that they now have to suck life from other people in order to stay alive. And that's what these false teachers are doing. They have so closed themselves off from God's grace, the continuous gift of his life, that they have become dead and now they're sucking life from other people and pulling other people into the vortex of their death. And Peter says, don't you understand? You think that bitterness is freedom. You think that bitterness is life. It's not. Forgiveness is life. You think lust, you think that's life. You think you get life from lust. You don't. You get it from purity. You think pride is life. No, oh, it's humility. See, as you walk away from the way of Jesus, you begin to walk in the path of the enemy. And Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, to kill and destroy. That all the ways of the world that it proclaims our life, our beauty, our freedom, they're not. It actually over time begins to drain life from you. And if you've ever spent any time pursuing a sin, 
to its depths. You know what I'm talking about. If you've ever experienced any level of addiction, you know what I'm talking about. What happens is this thing that you're trying to get life from begins to demand more life from you. It begins to demand more of your time, more of your attention, more of your heart, more of your emotions, more of your community. And all of a sudden you realize, no, I'm enslaved to the thing that I thought was setting me free. See, as we close ourselves off from God's grace, his continuous gift of life, we become death. I think a helpful way to think of it is, is this. It's not a lightsaber. It's just an umbrella. But when I was a kid, these umbrellas that would pop out like that, I thought were lightsabers and I loved them. And I just, I just play with them this, like this until they broke. But if you have um, the, uh, the delicate complexion that I have, um, it's the, it's the color of clear. Um, there's only two colors that you turn. Uh, outside of the sun, you're clear, and in the sun, you turn red. And, and when you turn red, it's painful, right? It hurts, and you have to use aloe or emu oil, depending on how hipster you are. And, and, and what I do when it, there's like a day at the beach, I want to block the sun. So I get an umbrella that is SPF 50 plus, and then I have a jolly holiday with Mary, right? <laughs> See, because I want to prevent the sun's rays from hurting me, right? Because the, the UV rays, the ultraviolet rays, are going to penetrate my skin and do damage, long-term damage to me. And so I have to do this. Same way if, you're, uh, if it's raining and you're wearing you know, cotton clothing, right? Cotton soaks up water, and so you want to prevent the water from getting on you, you would, you would get an umbrella and you'd hold it up to prevent the water from getting to you. But what happens if you're a plant? Right, it's one thing if you're a human and, and, and you're going to get a really bad sunburn or if you're wearing cotton clothing and you don't want to be saturated and drenched for the rest of the day, you would do this. That makes sense. But if you're a plant and what you need to live is light and rainwater, how silly would it be for you to have an umbrella over your head? right? How silly would it be for you if you're corn to cover your ears with an umbrella, right? That would be silly. That was a Midwest joke. But this is what we do. See, as we cling to our bitterness and we don't want to forgive, this is what we're doing. We're putting a shade over us so that the light of God's grace doesn't get to us. As we cling to our lust, as we cling to our greed, as we cling to our pride, what we are doing, Peter says, is we are closing ourselves off from the beautiful gift of God's grace. This is what these false teachers have done. They have so closed themselves off from the beauty of God's grace. They've become dead inside and they've begun to suck life from other people, pulling them into their vortex of death. But Peter says, be people that are open to the gifts of God's grace, that are walking in the way of forgiveness, that are walking in the way of honesty, that are walking in the way of humility, walking in the way of purity. Because those aren't just arbitrary things that God has said, do those. Those are the footsteps of Jesus that lead to life abundant, life full, life free. 
Peter says, embrace the grace sandwich. Open yourself up to the life of grace that God has given. And what you're going to find is that grace will be multiplied to you. And then he does this, and his, this, this gets me. When you move down to chapter 3, and you look at this gift of grace he's talking about, this is where it's beyond. So you've got these false teachers, these people who are manipulating other people, hurting other people. And what he says over here, they've begun to think that Jesus is not going to return. And they say, because he's not going to return, we're going to do whatever we want. And Peter says, don't you understand that what God is being is not late. He's being patient with you. with the false teachers, that God is even patient with his enemies. Think about Jesus on the cross saying, forgive them for they don't know what they do. That God's heart of compassion is so deep, it's so extravagant that he says, forgive my enemies. And I'm even gonna be patient with them. I'm gonna give them as much time as I possibly can so that they can come to a knowledge of the truth, so that they can be invited into my family, so that they can experience my grace, so that they can experience my life. I even want my enemies, which gives me hope because that's me. Because I have been an enemy of God and he has had grace for me. And he says, so how do we respond? We walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We live a life that mirrors life, that embraces life. And what happens as a result of that is we grow in grace. Grace is multiplied. And what happens is God does something that is the opposite of the false teachers. The false teachers, so dead inside, they begun to suck the life from other people. What happens as we embrace the grace of God, as we open ourselves up to receive more of the grace that God has given, more of the life God has given, that we become a pool that gets filled up and then overflows. Jesus said, we will have streams of living water flowing out of us, that we now become like Jesus, life givers. We're not just recipients of grace, we become grace givers. We're not just recipients of life, we become life givers. Second Corinthians, Paul says, God comforts us so that we can then in turn comfort others. Right? We become people that then pour out the excess grace that God is pouring out to us. We become people who begin to spread life and beauty and light and freedom and grace and joy and peace throughout the world. As we've been talking in the last series we were a part of, we become people who are bringing heaven to earth, spreading heaven on this planet. This is the picture that Peter paints for us as he reflects on the life of grace that God has allowed him to live and looks towards these people who are wrestling in their churches with what to do. And he says, I want grace to be multiplied to you. And I'm going to show you that even in the things that you think are darkest, it's still the grace of God being poured out. I want you to be people who just continually open themselves up to more of the gift of God's life, because that is life. See, what we find it's the depths of God's grace is so deep that if we spend a lifetime plummeting the depths, we never get to the bottom. 
the picture of God's grace is this faucet that is pouring out so much life that we could never shut it off. God's grace is not just grace. It's not just all grace. It's more grace. That is the disposition of the God of the universe towards you. No matter how you feel you are with him right now, because even his enemies have grace given to them in his patience. I can only imagine as Peter, knowing he's, he's about to see Jesus. He hadn't seen him in 30 years. Imagining the hand that pulled him out of the water. Imagining the knees that knelt to wash his feet. Imagining that man who, after he denied him three times, restored him to ministry three times. Pinning this letter and saying, my heart and my hope for all of you is that you would just experience more of God's grace as it is multiplied to you because that's the kind of God that I've seen and experienced in the person of Jesus. And in every moment since, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much that you are this God, that you are a God of grace, not just more grace, not just all grace, but more. More grace, more and more and more and more. But I pray that you would show us how to be people who are open to your grace. Lord, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would help us to stop saying no to your grace. That we would stop seeking life in these other things that are not life, but are death, that are draining life from us. Lord, I pray that you protect us from people that want to steal life from us. I thank you for the gift of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. Thank you for the gift of your spirit filling all your followers. Thank you for the unique gifts and talents you've given us to participate in building your church, spreading your kingdom. Thank you that there's breath in our lungs right now and blood flowing in our bodies right now. And thank you that we have been the recipients of so many levels of grace, we can't even count them. And thank you that you're not done yet. That no matter where we sit, how we feel right now, how distant you seem right now, thank you that you are a God who has not finished pouring your grace out upon us. That you're not finished forgiving us. That even when we stumble today, there is more forgiveness to be had. There's more life more joy, more peace, more freedom, more rest. Help us to experience the life that you desire for us to have. Life abundant, full of your life, continually receiving your grace. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.